Previously, in Series 7 of Hornet Heaven. I hate 1977. The most important thing at a football club is the owner's vision, and Elton John has none. And yet it's hard to imagine how things could actually get worse for our beloved club. Ugh, the ancient turnstile's stuck. I can't shift it. It's a double whammy. The club's malfunctioning down there, and Hornet Evans malfunctioning up here. What if 1977-78 is the start of something big? If the turnstile ain't fixed, we'll miss it. Uh, it's mended now. So, a boy has gone through the turnstile and gone missing. Why am I not surprised? Everything to do with Watford Football Club is malfunctioning. On Elton John's watch. Hornet Heaven, Series 7, Episode 2 Like a Candle in the Wind Written by Ollie Wickham Read by Colin Mace Earth Season, 1976-77 13-year-old Derek Garston frowned the programme he'd brought through the ancient turnstile was for last Saturday's match on May the 7th, 1977, at the Vetchfield. But somehow, he was at a game at Vicarage Road. He didn't understand. He went and stood on the shallow, covered terrace at the rookery end, directly beneath the Watford Observer clock. As yet, he couldn't pinpoint which year he'd come to, but, looking to his right, he noticed the main stand extension didn't exist. As soon as the teams came out, he recognised exactly which match he was at. It was Watford versus Plymouth Argyle on the night of Tuesday, April the 15th, 1969. He was about to watch Watford win promotion to Division 2 for the first and only time in their history. Brilliant! I'll take this as a swap for 1977 any day of the week! Not long later, Henry and the Alderman, in search of Derek, arrived through the ancient turnstile with their programmes for the Swansea game. Henry came to an abrupt halt when he realised they weren't at the Vetchfield. I say, what's going on? This isn't right. The turnstile must be Dicky. Dicky? Under Elton John? No surprise there. They made their way into the main stand and saw they were at the Plymouth game. I don't understand. How can a Swansea programme from 1977 bring us to Vicarage Road in 1969? It seems completely random. The alderman pondered this for a moment. He didn't like the thought that occurred to him. It had better not be random. That would be a disaster. We'd probably never see a new Watford game ever again. Really? Why? There must be over 3,000 past matches available in Hornet Heaven. So, if the turnstile is working randomly, and you go through with the programme for, say, tomorrow's match at home to Darlington, there'll be only a 1 in 3,000 chance of finding yourself at the right game. 
you're bound to end up at a historic match instead. You mean... we'd never see whether things get better after May 1977? The chances are we wouldn't. Having a fancy-dressed fool for a chairman would probably remain our freshest memory forever. We'd effectively be stuck in the past. Henry gazed down at the 1968-9 promotion side on the pitch below them. Keith Eddy was playing. Stuart Scullion. And Barry Endine, too. Well, on the positive side, at least everyone in Hornet Heaven would still have the past. Which we didn't, when the turnstile was stuck. This night against Plymouth was the pinnacle of success for the club. All we did was win Division 3, Henry William. I've got greater hopes for this club than that. Provided, of course, that Elton John leaves the club. We need to get back and get the turnstile fixed so we can see the future glories you talked about. Come on, Henry William. We've got a lost boy to find. As the match moved into the second half, Henry found he was loving the experience far more than he'd loved anything during the 1976-77 season. He joined in the chants. Na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na, hey-hey-hey, what the deaf see? He's up, he's down, he's in the rose and crown, Rodney Green, Rodney Green! The alderman wasn't loving it, though. He was stomping up and down the vicarage road terrace, annoyed not to have found the boy. He came back to Henry and said, Where is the child? I'm in a hurry to see new Watford games. Even this one was a disappointment. A disappointment? But this was the night the club achieved the level you were dreaming of when you became chairman and recruited Johnny Allgood as our first manager in 1903. Watford Football Club finally reached the top two divisions of English football. Hmm. The problem was the chairman. Jim Bonzer took us up all right, but then he didn't know what to do. It was just like today under Elton John. No vision, no plan moving forwards. There you go again, Alderman, criticising Elton John. I just don't understand what you've got against him. And you can't knock Jim Bonzer in 1969 at least, you have to credit him with Jim Bonzer wasn't a benefactor like I was. He was a malefactor. In the end, he let the club drop down into the bottom division and sold it to a ludicrously dressed pop star. Well, that crosses a line, Alderman. I'm not having that. That's totally unfair. Unfair to Jim Bonzer? Goodness, no. I'm glad that old Scrooge cleared off. Unfair to Elton John. Elton John isn't ludicrously dressed. Yes, he is. No, he isn't. Didn't you see those sparkly spectacles of his that spelt the word Zoom? They were genius. And they'd have been even better if they'd been Watford-related. Imagine, last season, if he'd worn glasses that spelt Good Eve. Good grief, Henry William. 
You're obsessed with the dress sense of a bizarre exhibitionist who will probably wreck our club, and I've had my fill of it. I have no wish to speak to you any more. I say, that's a bit. Henry was distracted as the crowd went wild around them. Roy Sinclair had scored the game's only goal. Watford were going up. Henry watched the crowd's celebrations. They were feeling the greatest joy they'd ever felt as Watford fans. Henry marvelled at it. Look at their faces. Just look at their faces. He turned to see what the alderman thought. But the alderman had gone. When the final whistle blew, Derek leapt over the Watford Observer hoarding behind the rookery goal and rushed onto the playing area with hundreds of other fans. He loved the naughtiness of a pitch invasion. The schoolboy hurdled a couple of hay bales and ran with the crowd towards the main stand, half skipping, half lolloping with excitement. When he got to the paddock, he stopped, out of breath. He noticed the pure exhilaration on everyone's faces. Someone shouted, Next stop, Division 2! Derek beamed. With Watford currently in Division 4 and Elton John failing to create a positive impact, the youngster had forgotten how great it was, as a fan, to feel that your club was on an upward trajectory, on the crest of a rising wave. He hopped up and down excitedly, watching the Watford players drink champagne and smoke cigarettes in the director's box, until, suddenly, he felt someone grab his ear. Ow! Derek looked up to see the alderman. Manners, boy! Ow! Your worshipfulness, sir! That's better. Now, this is no time to be enjoying yourself. The ancient turnstile has developed a fault. Exactly like our club in 1977. They both need fixing. We're going back. But 1977 is awful, your worshipfulness, sir. The alderman wasn't prepared to argue. He marched the boy back to the ancient turnstile. Henry was already back on Occupation Road when the alderman returned with Derek. It was clear that the alderman still wasn't speaking to Henry. The former chairman strode off up the slope, calling out, And tell the father of the club he needs to get the turnstile mended. Properly this time. Derek said to Henry, Actually, Mr Grover, sir, it's possible the fault is with the Swansea programme, not the turnstile, sir. We need to run a test to find out, sir. First, Derek took through a programme to one of his favourite matches, a 4-1 friendly win over Borussia Dortmund in 1954. But he didn't arrive at the floodlit European night he loved so much. He found himself, in 1964, watching a 2-0 defeat at Workington. What a swizz! Next, Henry took through the programme to the club's first ever FA Cup tie, which he'd played in, at home to Swindon in 1886. 
he found himself at Kenilworth Road. He didn't wait to find out which year or match it was. He just ran back through the turnstile, appalled. This turnstile needs fixing immediately. No one should ever be taken to that filthy hovel against their will. Freddy Sargent was passing by and saw Henry and Derek looking unhappy. He approached them. They didn't acknowledge him. What an ungrateful pair. After all I did to save Hornet Heaven. Oh, hello, Freddy. Is that all the thanks I get? I'm afraid there's bad news, Mr. Sergeant, sir. The turnstile's taking us to random matches, which means we may never see a new Watford game again, sir. Freddy was shocked. This hadn't been meant to happen. McBain must have messed up. Blimey, you mean, if a miracle happens and we walk Division 4 next season somehow, we'd never know? Exactly. This wretched 1976-77 season could be the last season we properly witness. For the rest of eternity. And I'll have to abandon all hope of ever seeing Watford in Europe in future, Mr. Sergeant, sir. Freddy didn't like the sound of any of this but he could see it was another opportunity to prove his superiority over the alderman. Right, this is a proper crisis, but don't worry, I'll get the turnstile working correctly. I saved Hornet Heaven earlier today, and now I'll save it a second time. All in a day's work for Freddy Sergeant OBE. Derek trudged back to the programme hut. He found Neil McBain and Fred Pagnum playing soccer armour. His spirits lifted when he saw that McBain had got his team into Europe. Wow! Europe! That's my absolute dream, Mr McBain, sir. Paggy said, I suspect much fixing. Just like when McBain were manager in 1958 and we threw that game against Brighton. Eh, that was nothing to do with me. Derek explained to McBain and Paggy that the ancient turnstile wasn't working properly. The cause is clearly faulty workmanship, I'm afraid, Mr McBain, sir. Just like when McBain were manager in 1958 and got us relegated. Ah, shut up. Relegation wasn't my fault, and neither is the turnstile. But I haven't told you exactly what's wrong with the turnstile yet, Mr McBain, sir. Whatever it is, it wasn't my fault. I don't get things wrong. You mean like when you opposed the signing of Cliff Alton and called it a tragedy for the club? Ah, that was... Or when you went up the road to manage the filthy atters. Ah, God, shut up about that. Will you not just let it lie? Freddy Sargent entered the hut. He'd been looking for McBain. He came over to the table. McBain, I need you to fix the turnstile. Properly this time. It's taking people to random games. Well, I don't know that I want to fix the turnstile. Last time you took all the credit. What am I going to get out of it? Freddy scooped up two handfuls of Sokorama banknotes. He stuffed them into a brown envelope and handed the envelope to McBain. Ah, that'll do nicely. When Freddy and McBain had gone... Derek and Paggy sat down to start a fresh game of Sokorama. Derek shook the dice. Oh, this feels good, Mr. Pagnum, sir. 
It's exactly the feeling the Watford fans had at the 1969 promotion game against Plymouth, Mr. Pagnum, sir. In Sokorama, when it's your go, you're always moving forwards. You're always on the way up. Aye, the total opposite of 1977. Derek threw the dice to start the game. After his second go, he'd had a win and a draw. So he landed on the fourth square up. Yes, I've won a penalty. Pass me a penalty card, Mr. Bagnum, sir. Derek took the orange card Paggy gave him. He braced himself, then turned it over to see what it said. Hurrah, sir! It says go to Division 3, sir! Well, that's as random as the ancient turnstile at the moment. Ha! They're both like a lucky dip, Mr. Pagnum, sir. Ooh, I love a lucky dip at the fairground. You never know what you're going to get. Imagine if I went through the ancient turnstile without a clue where I were going to end up and found myself watching, oh, I don't know, a centre-forward in his prime. Charlie Livesey, smashing in goals for fun in the third division in 1963-64. Charlie Livesey? He was brilliant for half a season, Mr Pagnum, sir. Completely out of nowhere, sir. Aye. I love a bit of unpredictability, me. This season, you always knew what was coming. If we were playing away, we wouldn't be winning. As a football fan, you always want to be surprised. Derek suddenly slapped down his penalty card in excitement. Crikey, sir! I've had an idea, Mr Pagnum, sir! Instead of this being a programme hut, we could make it... A lucky dip stall. There'd be a few duds hidden among the prizes, of course, but people might pick out an away game at Aberdare Athletic in 1921 and arrive at Old Trafford in 1969. The residents of Hornet Heaven would love it, Mr Pagnum, sir. Let's put up a sign saying, Lucky Dip Trip, sir. Eee, this has right cheered me up. Let's do it, lad. Let's do it. Half an hour later, Freddie Sargent was standing outside the ancient turnstile. He was supervising Neil McBain, who was lying under the mechanism, taking the only approach he knew. Freddie saw a group of Watford fans arriving to go through the turnstile. He stepped in front of them and said, You can't go through at the moment. The turnstile's taking people to random games. We know. It's genius. Is it? Totally. We've got ourselves programmes for a lucky dip trip from the new stall up the road. We can't wait to see where we randomly end up on the other side of the turnstile. Freddie hadn't seen such excitement on Watford fans' faces all season. Oh, that. Yes. The whole thing was my idea. He leaned down and said, Take a break, McPain. Get out of the way. Then Freddie stood aside and held out his hand so the fans could shake it in gratitude before they passed through the turnstile on their lucky dip trips. Meanwhile, Henry Grover was feeling unsettled that the alderman wasn't speaking to him after the trip to the Plymouth game. He went back to the supporters' club bar, just off Occupation Road, to see if he could patch things up with his old friend. In subterranean semi-darkness, a man called Jack Gran was playing mood music on a piano in the corner. 
Gran had been a left half of Watford in 1900, before becoming a music hall performer, under the name Jack Cardiff. Henry recognised the music immediately. The song seemed somehow appropriate. In 1977, Watford's hopes of a successful future and Hornet Heaven's hopes of seeing their future were definitely flickering like a candle in the wind. In the far corner, Henry saw the alderman sitting in a chair, shrouded in mayoral robes and despair. With his eyes closed, the dignitary was gently swaying his head to the sad song. Henry felt pity for his old friend. For most of his life, and after life, the alderman had been terrific company. The Prince of Goodfellows had deserved his nickname in every way. But over the last few months, since Elton John had become chairman, the demeanour of Alderman Ralph Thorpe had changed. Henry went over and said, I say, are you okay, old chap? The alderman opened his eyes. He sighed and seemed to relent. As Candle in the Wind played on, he said, This music has brought out the melancholy in me. I was wishing I hadn't died. If I'd lived longer and gone back to run the club again, maybe it wouldn't be in its current state. After 1929 in the Land of the Living, all that was left was my legacy. My candle burned out long before my legend ever did. Ha! Very clever. What? What was clever? Using the words from... Eh? Oh, well then, carry on. The alderman's impatience with Henry suddenly returned. I hope you're not having some kind of fun at my expense, Henry William. It's Elton John. The fashion hero you fetishize, who merits mockery and derision, not me. No one can deny that I'm still the club's greatest ever benefactor, in a way that a cheap musical entertainer could never be. Jack Gran at the piano got to his feet, huffed with indignation, and slammed the piano lid. He walked out. Henry sat down opposite the alderman, a little cautiously. To be fair to Elton, his dress sense is sublime. Mm -hmm. Even if that were true, it's irrelevant. The only thing that matters is that he's not the right chairman for the club. I don't agree. He's leading by example, establishing the tone and style. Next season, I fully expect the team to trot out to play in yellow and black sailor boy outfits with matching matlot caps. Elton John is damaging us. People think it's hilarious that a global pop star supports a bottom division club. It belittles us. Nonsense. When our away kit is a red lace basque with red fishnet stockings instead of shorts and socks, the world will admire us. What will fix things is proper investment. That new keeper of ours, Steve Sherwood... Only cost three thousand pounds. That's nothing. I gave one thousand pounds for Fred Pagnum more than fifty years ago. If there's to be investment, it should go into shiny yellow matchday suits for the players, sparkling with glitter and worn with red and black feather boas. The alderman, infuriated, got out of his chair.
That's enough, Henry William. We shall have to agree to disagree. He marched towards the exit. Henry got up and followed. Wait! I haven't told you about my idea for football boots with six-inch platform heels like Elton's. Imagine the free headers Ross Jenkins will get. Alderman? Alderman? The alderman strode out of the bar onto Occupation Road. He saw the programme hut that Derek and Fred Pagnum had rebranded as Lucky Dip Trips. What the blazes is going on? He bypassed the long queue that snaked from the door and went inside. He found Derek and Paggy handing out programmes to excited customers. Stop this at once! Hornet Heaven is in grave crisis, and you're offering residents all the fun of the fair. But they love it, your worshipfulness, sir. Look at the queue! We've really struck a chord with people, Alderman. Nostalgia's brilliant when it takes you by surprise. It's like finding an old scarf you'd forgotten you'd kept. Suddenly, Henry, who'd been following the alderman, appeared through the door. He had a big grin on his face. Lucky dip trips? I say, well done on such a splendid idea, gentlemen. <laughs> Not you too. Does no one in Hornet Heaven appreciate the seriousness of our situation? Don't be a spoilsport, your worshipfulness, sir. Give it a go. You might rediscover an amazing goal you've forgotten about from a match you wouldn't have bothered to watch again. Or you might see a tiny incident you'd forgotten, like the Stockport County goalie chasing after Stuart Scullion to shake his hand after Scully had rounded five players to score at the rookery end in 1967. The alderman remembered that moment. He felt his resistance starting to weaken. He steeled himself. Weakness was unbefitting for a man of his achievements and stature. No! Random is bad. Hornet Heaven and Watford Football Club need order and progress. Random is the behaviour of our risible pop star chairman when he's choosing what clothes to wear. The turnstile needs to be restored to its normal functioning. Henry ignored the insult about Elton John. He still wanted to make up with the alderman and saw a lucky dip trip as an opportunity. But I don't quite see what the hurry is, old son. Freddy Sargent can get the mechanism fixed tomorrow, in time for the new game against Darlington. Honestly, Lucky dip trips are too jolly an idea to waste, and if I may say so, you need jollying up. Let's give it a go, you and me, Alderman. It'll be amazing to arrive together somewhere completely unexpected. The Alderman's resistance broke. He hadn't enjoyed arguing with Henry about the current club chairman. He hoped that sharing a wonderful football experience with Henry would renew their long-standing friendship. <laughs> All right, I suppose there's time, but just the once. Henry grinned. He wondered what game to choose. He deliberately plumped for an awful one. Derek, give us two programmes to last season's defeat at Lincoln City. Our lucky dip trip will take us to something far more cheering than a 5-1 thrashing. Derek quickly found the programmes. He said... 
I remember this game, Mr Grover, sir. Lincoln had a very good young manager called Graham Taylor. I wonder if he'd be interested in Watford's current vacancy. The alderman couldn't resist saying, Hmm, 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 fat chance he'd come to us without John in charge. Henry let the jibe go. He smiled genially and took the alderman by the arm. Now, now, Aldy, let's forget our differences and allow this experience to bring us together. He took the programmes from Derek. He couldn't wait to see where they'd end up. On the other side of the turnstile, clutching their Lincoln programmes, Henry and the aldermen saw they weren't at Sinsel Bank. They were at Vicarage Road. Aha! This is promising. This could be a very lucky dip. They went into the main stand. When they looked out, they saw thousands and thousands of spectators in the ground. But the spectators weren't on the terraces or in the stands. They were on the pitch. This looks like the end of the Plymouth game again, but it's daytime. What in God's name is going on? Henry looked across to the far side of the ground. Along the front of the yellow Shrodale stand was a low, wide structure. Henry realised it was a stage. On the stage was a piano. At the piano was a man wearing a silky yellow and black hooped jacket. It was dotted with tiny yellow pom-poms that danced as he moved. It could only be one man. Elton! On stage, Elton started to play his hit song, Daniel. This must be the fundraising concert Elton John put on in May 1974. Good grief! This isn't just random, it's freakish! In every way... Look at what that bizarre little man is wearing. Nonsense. Those tiny yellow pom-poms are a miracle of suavity and refinement. Why can't you appreciate Elton's splendour, Alderman? Hmm, maybe in Hornet Heaven my eyes have died, and you see more than I. Ah, I get you, Alderman. Very witty. This is infuriating. You keep on saying I'm being clever or witty. Why? Uh, don't worry. Let's just enjoy the show. Enjoy this? How can I? This is a desecration of the stadium I acquired for this club. I can't believe I'm having to endure this. Well, I can't believe I'm getting a chance to see an Elton John stage costume firsthand. Right. We need to leave. You said this trip would bring us together. It's clearly doing the opposite. Leave? But I think I want to stay forever. The alderman saw a gleam in Henry's eye that he'd never seen before. Its intensity alarmed him. Staying forever is a bad idea, Henry William. Nonsense, alderman. If I stay, I'll be able to spend eternity closely examining every outlandish detail of a silk hornet costume. What more could any Watford fan possibly want? Personally, as a Watford fan, I'd start with not being stuck in 1977 forever, unable to see my team for the rest of time. Goodness! Perhaps Elton will change costume mid-concert. Yes, 
into yellow satin hot pants with a sparkly yellow, red, and black garter tight across the thighs. Oh, 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 my goodness. I'm going down the front. Henry dashed down to the front of the main stand. Henry William, don't. The alderman watched Henry vault over the front of the stand. Henry William, come back. Henry leapt over the hoardings and railings onto the pitch. He became submerged in the crowd, his Victorian suit disappearing into the sea of denim. The alderman stopped calling out. He stared out onto the pitch, wondering whether he would ever see the father of the club again. Then he clutched his head in his hands and uttered a primal scream of despair for what he felt had become of Henry Grover, Hornet Heaven, and Watford Football Club. The alderman emerged through the ancient turnstile onto Occupation Road. He took a few steps across the pavement, then lowered himself to sit on the curb, submerged in his robes. Before long, he heard footsteps approaching. A voice he recognised as Freddy Sargent said, Well, well, well. Look at this. How the mighty have fallen. <laughs> a little later, on the other side of the turnstile, Henry had calmed down a little. Elton was off stage for a while. During the break, Henry noticed that a young woman near him was holding a programme. The front cover was bright yellow, with nothing else on it apart from the club badge at the time, a red hornet, surrounded by a compact circle of text. Henry thought it looked supreme. When the young woman opened the programme, Henry peered over her shoulder to read what it said. There was an introduction that started with two quotes from Elton himself. Henry read Elton's first quote. It said, Anyone can join a club for six months and get fed up with it. But really, you've got to be totally dedicated. And that's what I am. Henry nodded with satisfaction. Here was proof that Elton John was totally committed to the club that Henry had started 96 years earlier. This was no pop star's passing phase. Elton was in it for the long haul. Then Henry read the next sentence, Elton's second quote. It said, I honestly think Watford have done more for me than I could possibly do for them. Henry smiled. He thought this came across as suitably humble from a global superstar. But then he frowned. The quote didn't make Elton sound very ambitious. In fact, Elton was talking down the extent to which he could actually help the club. Henry read the sentence back to himself. More for me than I could possibly do for them? Henry gasped. It was there in black and white. Elton John was telling everyone he was unable to help Watford Football Club. Henry was hit by a wave of shock. This is terrible. He's saying it himself in the programme. Elton John can't possibly do anything for us. 
The alderman was right about him all along. In that moment, Henry's priorities changed. Suddenly he didn't care about the silk hornet costume Elton had been wearing. He didn't care about tiny yellow pom-poms. The club he'd founded in 1881 was in the hands of a man who, by his own admission, was useless. This was what Henry now cared about. Henry Grover wanted Elton John out. As soon as Henry arrived back on Occupation Road, he saw the alderman sitting on the curb with his eyes closed. Henry went up to him and announced, I'm back, old chap, and I've changed. If you're wearing one of Elton John's taffeta tutus, I'm never opening my eyes again. I mean, I've changed my views on Elton John. I'm 100% with you now. Mm, you won't be 100% with me until the day you agree it will be inappropriate for a football club chairman to attend a board meeting in a lime-green bathing suit with miniature silver bells around the gentleman's area. And that day's not any time soon. Ah, fair point. I'm not sure I could ever go quite that far, but I do agree that Elton John is definitely not the man to take Watford on a journey to football stardom. Henry explained what Elton had written in the concert programme. The alderman was delighted. He got to his feet and said, Ah, so he admits he couldn't possibly do anything for our club. I knew I was right about him. I'm afraid you absolutely were, old son. The alderman instinctively spread his arms wide to hug his old friend. Then he remembered he was an important dignitary and just shook Henry's hand instead. He said, We stand united against Elton John, Henry William. Let us now restore Hornet Heaven to normality so we can see him gone as soon as possible. It's imperative he leaves the club. Exactly. He's got to go. If Elton John stays in charge for the next five years, we could end up divisions away from where we are now. The two old friends finished shaking hands and crossed Occupation Road to go and close down the Lucky Dip Trip store. The next morning, once they were sure all the Hornet Heaven residents who had taken a Lucky Dip Trip had returned, Henry and the alderman stood with Freddy Sargent by the ancient turnstile on Occupation Road. It was now Saturday, May the 14th, 1977. Right, Mr. Sargent. Time to get that turnstile fixed for good. Hornet Heaven needs restoring to full working order. Oi, don't you order me about. I'm the one in charge here. Just get it done. I've had a proper bellyful of Elton John. I want to see him gone as soon as possible. So do I. The randomness of the turnstile has had the happy effect of bringing the alderman and myself together. There's a new programme due in this afternoon for the final game of this dreadful season. The alderman and I both sincerely hope the club will be announcing Elton John's departure. Freddy instructed McBain to crawl beneath the ancient turnstile where the Scotsman got busy again with the same finesse that he brought to managing Watford in the 1930s and 1950s. Henry and the alderman left Freddie and McBain to it and went off to the supporters' club bar. 
Soon, drawn by the sound of the hammering, Derek and Fred Pagnum strolled down from the programme hut. They watched solemnly as McBain struggled with the mechanism. It's a shame, really, isn't it, Mr Pagnum, sir? Lots of people loved our lucky dip trips. Do you think McBain will fix the turnstile correctly this time? Willie yuck. McBain wrecks everything he touches. If he buggers upon it ever even worse, I'll be wishing Watford Football Club had never existed. <gasps> you can't wish that, Mr Pagnum, sir. That's treason, Mr Pagnum, sir. Well, it's how I feel. McBain manoeuvred himself out from under the turnstile. There, one turnstile properly mended. Freddy announced to Derek and Paggy. Freddy Sergeant saves the day. Again. Meanwhile, certain other bigwigs, who clearly don't care, are living it up in the bar. Oh, can I be the first to test the turnstile, Mr Sergeant, sir? Freddy had been planning to get the alderman to test it, secretly hoping that if McBain had messed up again, the turnstile would send the alderman somewhere from which he could never return. Please, Mr Sergeant, sir! Please, Mr Sergeant, sir! All right. I suppose so. Derek rushed away to fetch programmes. He returned with two, for himself and Paggy. Freddy asked, Which match have you got? The home game against Exeter City on September the 30th, 1922, Mr Sergeant, sir. Why that one? We scored our first ever goals at Vicarage Road, Mr Sergeant, sir. And a certain centre forward called Fred Pagnum scored three of them. Paggy smiled. For the first time in a long while. Eee, thank you, youngster. That's a lovely gesture. Perhaps I am glad Watford Football Club exists after all. Derek and Paggy went through the ancient turnstile. They arrived on the other side. Paggy took one look and said, Blow me neck! What's that clown McBain done to the turnstile now? We're not even in a football stadium! End of Episode 2 The story will continue in Series 7, Episode 3. Next time in Series 7 of Hornet Heaven. I want watching Watford to be just like Soccerama. I want to feel like every match is taking us forward. I want us to race up the divisions. I want us to reach the two red squares at the top of Division 1. Right, it's time the father of the club got his hands dirty. Hornet Heaven was created and written by Watford fan Ollie Wicken. It was read by Watford fan Colin Mace. It was produced by Watford fan John Mooney. Music by Watford fans Steve Joy and Jeff Wicken. Music